Good morning, everybody. Let's, um, again, bow our heads in prayer as we begin to open God's Word. Father God, as we open your Word this morning, may your Spirit be present with us and move in our hearts and minds to be receptive to you. Father, we pray that we would understand your truth and that your truth would change us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Life, for the most part, is pretty straightforward. It follows a linear path from birth to death. We grow to learn what to expect. Things go good, things go bad. We do certain things, and we don't do certain things. But there are certain times when something happens, or when somebody does something that in a little or big way kind of diverts from what we consider normal, usual. Take, for example, Ludwig van Beethoven. This genius of a musical composer began to lose his hearing at age 26. And even after losing his hearing, he composed several masterpieces that has inspired musicians for generations. How does somebody that is deaf compose masterpieces and then perform them in concert by themselves? It seems impossible, right? There are no barriers for a person with talent and love towards work, Beethoven said. There are no barriers. Or another example, Albert Einstein. He didn't even start speaking until he was three years old. He was autistic and dyslexic, and he did not graduate high school. Yet about everybody here today knows about him. His knowledge, expertise, and discoveries in science would make me look like a complete fool. So how does somebody on the onset of things, a dyslexic high school dropout, come to shake the scientific world? It seems impossible, right? Well, both of them pulled through their circumstances through hard work and talent. In the end, none of what they did was impossible. But today, we're going to open our Bibles and we're going to read about something that truly is impossible. Something that has no natural explanation. Something that cannot be achieved by humans mustering willpower, strength, and talent to pull through. It's a story that will teach us that our God, the God of the Bible, is God of the impossible. Last week, at our place in the book of Exodus, we heard and read that the Israelites finally walked out of Egypt, out of slavery, with their heads held high. In a sense, from a storytelling perspective, that would have been a great place to stop. God had shown his supremacy over Pharaoh and over his makeshift gods. And Pharaoh had thrown up his arms and told Moses and Aaron to take the Israelites and go, leave Egypt. After 430 years, 430 years in captivity, what an ending. If you close your eyes, you can almost see the Israelites marching out, cheering, finally. But of course, we know the story does not necessarily end there. 
We're going to move through a lot of text this morning. So please, if you have not already, do open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14, and that's going to be on page 106 in your pew Bibles. Page 106. Starting chapter 14, verse 1. First thing we're going to see is Pharaoh changing his mind. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think... The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihiroth, opposite Baal Shaphan. So, God instructed Moses to direct the Israelites to turn around and set up camp with their backs against the sea. This would tempt Pharaoh to think that the Israelites were walking around the desert like fools. Perhaps Pharaoh heard about this foolish encampment and thought that their God must have left them. Why else would they do such a dumb thing? So Pharaoh smacked his lips, seeing his easy prey. Guys, what have we done? We let these people go after 430 years. Now we've lost our services. I think using the word services here puts it a little bit too lightly. They've lost their enslaved labor force. Of course he wants them back. But back to verse 4 and what God says. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. It's crazy to think that Pharaoh already forgot about the God of the Israelites. But it makes sense in the context of his own plethora of gods. You see, To the people of the ancient world, the gods and goddesses of the world were arbitrary. They were quick to change their actions and their attitudes. They were not omnipresent, the description of our God as always present. Sometimes they were there, sometimes they were not. Sometimes they did things, sometimes they did not. Of course, we know the reason for this arbitrary behavior was due to them being false gods. But Pharaoh and the ancients truly believed in their many gods. Their downfall, thinking that the God of Israel, they, the God of the Israelites was a God like theirs. Thinking, 
Yes, he did stand by the Israelites and perform miracles a little bit ago, but he's probably somewhere else now. So Pharaoh, getting the reports of the Israelites turning back, setting up camps closer to him with their backs against the sea, he definitely must have thought that their God had left them and that he now was free to pull them back into Egypt as slaves. And now we would think that the Israelites would know better too. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Seeing the Egyptians pursuing them, the Israelites respond in two ways. First, in their terror, they cry out to God. Secondly, they get mad at Moses. They started thinking that they had been fooled out of Egypt and into the desert and that it would mean their end. At least in Egypt we were alive, they said. What we see in the first 12 verses here is that both Pharaoh and the Egyptians, both Pharaoh and the Israelites themselves, forgot who God truly is. Pharaoh had seen God's power manifested, but he was wrong to presume that the God of the Israelites was random in his actions like any of the other gods that he believed in. And the Israelites were quick to forget that God was with them, like we so often do. They only saw the imminent threat in front of them, and they failed to trust in faith that God would carry them through. Let's move to the second part in our narrative. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night... The cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. 
During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and clouded the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Both Pharaoh and the Israelites were shown again the nature of the true God. He is God of the impossible. Nobody there on that day had seen anything like what transpired. It was not a normal natural phenomenon. It was a supernatural miraculous event. God parted the water, guided the Israelites through on dry ground, and the Egyptians looking at the Israelites passing without a problem naturally thought that they would be able to do that too. But the wheels of their chariots got stuck. And as they began to see that the God of the Israelites was actually there with them again, they panicked and tried to turn around. Except God made the water flow back to its natural path. Not one in the Egyptian army survived. Last in our narrative we're going to see God's deliverance of the Israelites. Verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians laying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. God delivered the Israelites that day. They again saw the mighty hand of God, and they put their trust in him. They were proven again who their God truly was. He's not one like Pharaoh's made-up gods, but the one true God, the creator of the universe, God of the impossible. Scholars have identified at least 1,500 gods of the Egyptians, but none of them even comes close to the god of the Israelites. You see, the Egyptian gods were mere pictures, pictures of the sun and the wind and other natural phenomenon ultimately created by Yahweh, the god of the Israelites, the god of the Bible. And that day again, the Israelites were reminded who he was. When he said in Exodus 3.14 to Moses, I am who I am, he was not messing around. God humiliated Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He exposed the nonsense of their religion, and he showed himself to be the only true God. But what does the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea mean for us? For us Christians here, how are we linked to this story? Well, the story is an important reminder of the power of our God. Yes, we worship a God who is unlike thousands of gods that men have made up. 
We worship a God that can do impossible things, like making a dry path through the middle of the sea, but it's more than that. We worship a God that saves us. God delivered the Israelites out of the bondage of Egypt. For 430 years, they were an enslaved people. Now they were free, marching in the wilderness. Even with their backs against the sea, God delivered them. From a perspective of the world, the Israelites had no chance. There was a people that had brought sticks to a gunfight, leaning up against a wall with no route of escape. Chariots were the armored tanks of the ancient Near Eastern world. The Israelites had nothing except, of course, their God. Their God, God of the impossible, did what no one could perceive. The Israelites were delivered. You and I? Well, we were in bondage to sin. Now, if you're here today and you haven't heard of Jesus Christ and what he did, you're probably confused by me talking about this people group called the Israelites and what they have to do with them. But here's what you need to know. You're currently under bondage to sin. Now, what does that mean? It basically means that we're all guilty. None of us have followed God's law perfectly. We don't love God or our neighbors with our whole being. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. Some neighbors we don't even really like that much at all. Because of this, this sin in our hearts, we've been under God's wrath. And I realize that sounds bad, but you must realize that God's wrath is judicially opposed to evil and to sin. It's not that God is angry with us because he's having a bad day. God's wrath is directed at evil. He can't stand it, and he will abolish it. But how can a people that is so full of sin, us, be reconciled with a God that cannot accept sin or evil in his presence? That's where Jesus Christ comes in. Paul, in Romans 6.14, said, Sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. The Israelites struggled with breaking free from their masters, the Egyptians. Standing in the desert, they spoke out against Moses, and they wished that they were back in their captivity. It can be like that for us, too. Our sin is such an integral part of us that we feel like we can't exist without it. There's no reality without it. Maybe we choose to go back to our old ways because at least we know what we're doing there. It feels safe and it's predictable. It's part of the linear path of life. No longer, Paul said. Sin shall no longer be your master. God's plan for the Israelites was not to return to comfort and settle back into captivity. And God's plan for you is not to return to the comfort and predictability of your old ways, and settle back into the armchair of sinful captivity. But how, we must ask, how does God deliver us from our bondage? God parted the waters of the sea, doing the impossible, and he enabled the Israelites to cross over dry ground to safety. We don't stand in front of an actual sea, 
but we, sta- we do stand at the edge of a chasm. Behind us is our bondage to sin and evil, our bondage to Satan and his ways. It is always pulling and tugging on us. And across the chasm is God and his ways, love, goodness, harmony. And our Christianity is not like any other religion where we need to try and build a bridge to get across. We can try and build all we want, but we're not going to get there. We can muster all of our communal strength, but we won't get there. The sin in our heart yanks us back time and time again. But the God of the Bible is God of the impossible. Time and time again, he has shown himself and his true nature by doing what nobody could perceive. There were the Israelites with their backs against the sea. God parted it. Hundreds of years later, a baby was born in Bethlehem to a virgin. And the Bible narrates pieces of the story where he grows up. He begins to minister to the people around him. And as he continued to preach about the kingdom of God, the religious and political leaders began to get nervous. Eventually, Jesus, which was his name, was arrested and punished for his presumed transgressions. He was spat upon, whipped, beaten, mocked, and condemned to death. He was crucified and proven dead by soldiers and buried in a nearby tomb. We know the story, right? We know it so much that it can cease to sound incredible and impossible. But three days after his death, Jesus was no longer in the tomb. God had raised him from the dead. Our God is God of the impossible. Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God, and God again showed his true nature by what he did. We cross the chasm between our sin and God, not by our own doing, but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You see, on that cross, Jesus bore our sins. He himself, though sinless, was the perfect sacrifice. And that's what John says in his gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wow, people. Wow. The God of the impossible provided a way for us when there was no way. Just like he did for the Israelites when the Egyptians were in pursuit. The Red Sea crossing is a paradigm for our Christian faith. We are leaving the bondage of sin. We are crossing over by grace. And we are able to get out of bondage by the mediator who is Jesus Christ. It's easy for us to read and hear about the Israelites and approach it like we do any kind of storytelling. We'll lean back in the chair and we'll marvel at the nuances of the story and we'll nitpick aspects of the story here and there. We'll declare that parting a body of water is not a natural phenomenon and that it's impossible and all of that. Look how quick the Israelites and the Egyptians were to forget, were to forget who God truly is. He had already showed them his mighty powers, and yet they fear for their lives. 
We can't make the same mistake and forget, forget who God truly is. He has shown us, He has told us, He has proven Himself to us that He is God of the impossible. Now, this narrative also sheds life for us on how to live today. It's easy to predict what the Israelites were feeling that day, with their backs against the sea and the Egyptians chasing them down. Life can be a lot like that. We are pressed up against the wall, and hard things, really hard things, are already present, and even more is on its way. It's hard. But we must never underestimate God. He provided a way for the Israelites to cross over to safety. He delivered them. He has provided a way for us to cross over too. He has delivered us too. Jesus Christ is our deliverance. Does that mean that our hardship is swallowed up like the Egyptians were slammed with the return of the water? No, it doesn't always look like that. For now, much of our hardship continues. But it won't always be like that. Jesus has delivered us from the bondage of sin. He has given us redemption. One day, we too will rise and be in perfect harmony with God. No more pain, no more evil, no more hard things. They will indeed be swallowed up. Now, things are still hard here, but we can live differently when we know that deliverance is in sight. Do you think that the Israelites would have acted differently if Moses told them, don't worry, at such and such time, God will do this and poof, the Egyptians will be gone? If they believed Moses, they would have acted very differently. They would have stood there in excitement, waiting to see the waters part. We don't need to be surprised that day. God has already told us of our deliverance. So we can live with excitement, with passion, with purpose, with direction as we wait for that day. Yes, it's hard, but the glory that awaits you is bigger. That's why we can be different. That's why we can love those that don't really deserve to be loved. That's why we can do things like part with our money that we feel like is ours. That's why we can part with our dear time that we hold on to so tight and more. There's people all around us that have no idea of the glory of God. They stand pressed up against the wall, and they are beaten by the currents of life. Let's tell them that there is deliverance, and let's tell them that that deliverance is Jesus Christ. And then let's live our lives, realizing that there are no barriers to our God. He is God of the impossible. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. We are amazed by who you are and how you have revealed yourself in your word. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that day when you parted the waters for the Israelites, but you did. You're not an arbitrary God, but you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we praise you for that. Help us to remember you. Help us not to forget who you are. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.